that beautiful? I choose thankful. I love that. That theme of choosing gratitude in all circumstances, the very last verse that Lois read from 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Do you know there's actually health benefits to gratitude? I got a letter from a realtor yesterday, a neighbor of ours, and encouraging us to call on her when we need her services, but she also included a little insert on, on, uh, on gratitude. And um, I, found, I found an article, and it's repeated in several places that she had, and it's in Forbes and a few other magazines, of seven, uh, wait a minute, seven something, scientifically, seven scientifically proven benefits of gratitude that will motivate you to give thanks year-round. You ready? Okay. Number one is gratitude opens the door to more relationships. Not only does saying thank you constitute good manners, but showing appreciation can help you win new friends, according to a 2014 study. That's number one, relationships. Number two, gratitude improves physical health. Grateful people experience fewer aches and pains, and they report feeling healthier than other people, according to a study. Number three, gratitude improves psychological health. Gratitude reduces a multitude of toxic emotions ranging from envy and resentment to frustration and regret. Number four, gratitude enhances empathy and reduces aggression. Grateful people are more likely to behave in a pro-social manner even when... Pro-social, that's not part of my vocabulary, but I like that. Pro-social manner even when others behave less kind. Number five, grateful people sleep better. Writing in a gratitude journal improves sleep according to a 2011 study published in Applied Psychology. And number six, gratitude improves self-esteem. And number seven, gratitude increases mental strength. For years, research has shown gratitude not only reduces stress, but it may also play a major role in overcoming trauma. And it goes on. Gratitude. Choosing gratitude and the effects of it in our life are kind of what we want to look at. And some of these are from people who really have absolutely no uh, base or sense of who the living God is. And we know that as we give thanks, where it comes from and where it goes to. Our gratitude is to to a God who, who yes, can improve health through these kind of things. But our gratitude is to a God who loves unconditionally, a God who loves consistently, a God who never gives up on us. And our gratitude is a God of grace and a God of mercy. Unending, unceasing, consistent and faithful grace of God. That's what the psalmist presents to us over and over again in Psalm 136. We're going to spend a little bit of time with Psalm 136 today. Which has this repeating phrase, his faithful love endures forever. His faithful love endures forever. We're going to spend a little bit of time with this psalm. We're going to get our gratitude on today. We're going to let God and tell God thanks for everything. This phrase, his faithful love endures forever, happens 26 times in this psalm. His love endures forever. The New International Version actually doesn't have the word faithful in there. It just says his love endures forever. And the New Living Translation actually adds this word faithful to sort of bolster that word love. And that's what I'm going to go with today. I'm going to include that word faithful. And this word for love, this word for faithful love in the Old Testament, sometimes is also translated mercy. And you know what mercy is? Mercy is God holding back the consequences of our selfishness and sin and instead loving us with grace, loving us unconditionally over and over again, day in and day out. Love and mercy, his faithful love endures forever. And that's why we repeat it over and over again. His grace and mercy undergird everything he gives us. His grace and mercy are behind and in all that he gives us. His grace and mercy give us a deeper appreciation and gratitude for what has been. And his grace and mercy give us more confident hope for what is to come. His grace and mercy grow our 
grow, uh, grow, grow his covenant commitment to us. And basically, he is saying to us, I will never stop loving you. There's much to be thankful for, but especially, especially his grace and mercy and faithful love. So we don't just say thanks for everything. We say, God, thank you for everything, and especially your grace and mercy that undergird it all. So we're going to spend a little bit of time with Psalm 136. We're actually going to read it in parts, and you will respond with that phrase as we look at different parts of it today. And the words of Psalm 136 not only call us to thank God for everything, they call us to celebrate his unending grace and mercy in all of our thanksgiving. Give thanks to God. His faithful love endures forever. So jumping in at verse 1. The psalmist calls us, first of all, to thanks and to adoration. Verse 1 begins this way. Give thanks to the Lord. And how, how about, let's just do this. How about you repeat with me, okay? So I'll, I'll say the phrase, and then you can repeat in the, uh, you, you can memorize it. I wrote it up there, but it's, his faithful love endures forever. You're going to say it 26 times, so you, you want to practice? His faithful love endures forever. Okay. His faithful love endures forever. Okay, good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Here woven in these first few verses are adoration and worship and praise. And you've got to remember when this was first written, there was sort of a competition going on. Because it says the God of gods, and for us there's just one God, but then there was other gods. You could kind of go, you, could, you know, people go church shopping these days, you could go God shopping then. There was plenty of other options out there. But here, the psalmist says he is the God with a capital G of all those other gods. And he's not even meaning that he's the best of the whole bunch. There are no other gods but him. He is God of gods. And then secondly, he says he is the Lord of lords. And this title speaks of his authority in our lives. There is no authority higher than he. God of gods and Lord of lords. And we've picked as our theme for Advent this year, and we'll be lifting it up each Sunday, especially on the 13th in our celebration. We're actually going to sing the Hallelujah Chorus, and that's sort of uh, what kind of gave us this idea initially. Of in Revelation where it speaks of Hallelujah, and then it speaks a little bit later there that that the name given to him is king of kings and lord of lords king of kings and lord of lords we're going to be lifting that up during advent and here it is right here he's god of gods and lord of lords there is no other authority higher than he he is the one true god and alone is worthy source of limitless grace unending mercy god of gods lord of lords Now, as we move then to verses 4 through 9, they speak of creation, which are also evidence of his love and grace. We say thanks for creation. Okay, you ready to go with verses 4 through 9? Let's get going. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. Give thanks to him who placed the earth on the water. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. The sun to rule the day, and the moon and stars to rule the night. And look what he has created and given to us in this world. For some of us that are particularly visual and outdoor oriented, it's sometimes the, the place where our praise starts. It may not start in a cognitive thing in our head, but in a, a visual display of something beautiful. Like even those who were not excited about the biggest snowstorm in November in 120 years, you could not deny how incredibly gorgeous it was when the sun popped out this morning and you saw that sparkling white snow. Just amazing that we see out there. 
I'm especially a visual person, and I just kind of come alive when I get outside. And I have come to just appreciate so much the outdoors uh, here in northern Illinois in the, the Forest Preserve especially. We live close to McDowell Woods. It's one of my favorite places to walk and to run. And I love it in every single season. And I love it in the big, vast pictures of, of trees when they're green and trees when they're orange. But I also love it in the tiny little the tiny little images of, of a bug crawling on the ground or of, of a water trickling somewhere or the first green shoots that are coming up in spring. All of these things just amaze me. And sometimes the patterns that there are uh, when, when water has run somewhere and it's not running, the patterns that are there, or the patterns that are there when animals have actually, uh, obviously rushed through a, a, a grassy area. Each of these intricate patterns and, and these imprints of nature are, are beautiful things. And they can turn us back towards the creator who created these things. And we can look to the sun and we come to appreciate the sun in Illinois, don't we? Because we don't see it every day. But man, when you see it like today, you go, praise God for that incredible thing you put up in the sky that sustains life for us. And we are part of that creation. In creation, God shows us power. In creation, God shows us creativity. In creation, God shows his sense of order of putting it all together. And so when we give thanks to God, we say, you are the one that made it all, God, and you are the one that sustains it. He sustains it. He made it all. As we look at it, as we consider it, as we marvel at it, we're to remember that it all comes from God who never stops loving us or providing for us. His faithful love endures forever. As we move to verse 10 through 16, the thanks here really is a thanks for redemption. Now we get into some of the theological stuff of what, what God has done for us. So let's read this together now. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. He brought Israel out of Egypt. He acted with a strong hand and powerful arm. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. He led Israel safely through. But he hurled Pharaoh and his army into the sea. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. Here is the Passover exodus story that weaves its way through so much of the scriptures, doesn't it? The exodus story that is just sort of this this frame, this... um, um, this backdrop of so much that happened in Scripture, and it foreshadows so much of what will happen in and through Christ. We find the Exodus story woven all through Scriptures, and we see it here in part of the poetry that comes to us in the psalm. But it's not just a great story. It's a story. It's a promise of deliverance. It always is before God's people, even today as a promise of deliverance, as a promise that God will free people from bondage. God will redeem people from slavery. It all anticipates Christ. It all anticipates, what do we call Christ? We call him the Passover lamb because it relates right back to this event of Passover and Exodus. It anticipates Christ, the Passover lamb, and the freedom from sin and from hopelessness and the freedom from meaninglessness and the freedom from spiritual death that are apart from Christ. It promises a freedom from that and it being set free. For some people in the world right now, this image of the Exodus and the story the Exodus gives hope for a literal freedom from the unbearable living conditions in war and terror-ravaged places, especially like Iraq and Syria. Hope that God, the one true God, will set people free and lead them to a place where they can live a quality life apart from the terrors that they're experiencing. 
for many all down through the ages. There's also hope in the Exodus story for a freedom from the specific bondage and enslavement that happened within a person. The bondage and enslavement that happened is because of specific things that happened to us at the hands of another in terms of abuse or the things that have happened within us due to our own poor choices and, and sin patterns that we've allowed to kind of grip who we are and addictions that have taken a hold of us, of compulsions that we can't seem to shake and then the shame that comes because of that and the hurts and the attitudes and the negativity that can come. Oh, that we would be set free from that. And the Exodus story And the God of redemption and the God that puts things back together even gives us hope for freedom from those kinds of things. Several of you know that sense of freedom. I know that freedom that's come from God setting me free from things that have held me back and shame that tries to hold me down and I won't let it do it anymore because Christ has set me free. And I know that's a lot of your story as well. So that we can say, not just with our heads and our voices, but from a deep place inside, say, His faithful love endures forever. Only by His grace and freedom are we here. He sets us free from whatever enslaves us. Thanks for redemption, God. Thank you for redemption. You set us free from what enslaves us. As we move to verse 17, we have thanks for protection. Let's read this together. Give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. He killed powerful kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance. A special possession to his servant Israel. This is the Old story continuing, the Old Testament story continuing after Exodus. There's Exodus, then there's the giving of the promised land. But I think the the theme here shifts from redemption more to a protection for God's people. Now, some have problems with uh, kind of this this kind of stuff in the Old Testament. Oh, thank you, thank you, God, that you killed kings. Thank you that you banished all these people. You know, it's kind of like when you read Joshua. It's all really exciting when they're marching seven times around and blowing the trumpets and the whole city falls. Yes, killing all of those men, women, and innocent children. And then we kind of have a little struggle with the Old Testament, don't we, in places like that. I suppose Sihon and Og weren't weren't the greatest guys. They had kind of odd names, but that doesn't really matter. There's very bloody and violent stuff going on in Scripture when we look at it. But we need to see, and I think what helped me years ago when I was trying to preach a series through Joshua, is that we need to see that this part of the Old Testament, this part of of defeating enemies like this, is really the Old Testament as spiritual battle. We need to see that these kings and these cities in Canaan, as they were destroyed and conquered, that they really are, um, they are the enemies of God. They are enemies of God's people. That if allowed to live, it would have brought God's people down and destroyed them. At this point, this critical moment in their history when they came out of Egypt and then entered into the promised land. We need to see that they really are the spiritual adversaries of the people of God. These are the spiritual adversaries that the people of God were facing. And it points to the spiritual adversaries that we face now. Those spiritual forces that would block us from fullness of life in Jesus Christ. 
And so we need to see that this violence and death and destruction, Old Testament, was not like, well, that's just the way it used to be. It really was the protection of God of his people, that he would preserve his people and bring them to a place of owning this land through whom would come our Savior. As God protected his people and as God defeated the military and political opposition then, so he protects and defends his people against spiritual opposition now. Scripture is clear. He defeats our enemies. You know, when you've escaped injury in an accident or a near accident, you say thanks for protection. You say to God, thank you, God, that you're always there. And so we always want to give thanks to God for his protection over us. And that's really kind of where verse 23 and 24 take us. Or verse 23, I should say. He remembered our... Um, and, and there's another shift here to this thanks for, I'm sorry, thanks for attention is where we go now. Thanks for attention, verses 23 and 24. It says, he, utter, he remembered our utter weakness. He saved us from our enemies. This thanks for attention is he's there for us no matter what is taking us down, no matter what might be rendering us powerless. He remembered our utter weakness. We know that in the face of God that we are weak no matter what. But we also know those times in life and those situations in life and those things that grip us where we feel that utter weakness. Again, sometimes from things that have been done to us and sometimes from things that we have done or chosen have taken us to that weak and powerless place. But it says he remembers us. He remembers our utter weakness. And he saves us from our enemies, external and internal. He pays attention to who we are and the things we're struggling with. He is there for us no matter what. He remembers us even at our worst. Thanks for attention. And then when verse 25, we move to a thanks for provision. Just one line here. He gives food to every living thing. A reminder that everything comes from him. Even our most basic physical needs are provided for God. He makes sure that we have all we need. And not only giving to us, but to every living thing. He's the source of all life. He's the source all the time, consistently, never ending. Like his grace and mercy, his faithful love endures forever. And then finally, verse 26 comes to a a return back to the adoration with which the psalmist began, this amazing God. And we finish with verse 26. It says, give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. God of heaven. Thanks to the God of heaven. It speaks of the transcendent God. It speaks of the exalted God. It speaks of the eternal God. This transcendent, eternal one is the same one who draws near to me in grace and mercy. The psalmist takes us to the highest place of the God of heavens, the transcendent God, and yet in this psalm has brought us close to our own hearts, our own struggles, and our own joys. And we then can be returned to that place of great gratitude for his grace and his mercy. And so we see that these simple words of the 136th Psalm not only call us to thank God for everything, they call us to celebrate this unending grace and mercy in all our thanksgiving. Give thanks to God. His love endures forever. As we wrap up the message, I'm just going to lead you through a, a time of prayer here. And the prompts will be on the scripture, but, or the screen, but I'll say them. And they're coming from these different parts of the psalm that we have picked up on. So in your silence, let's pray now. Lord, hear us now as we pray. We pray, Lord, of grace and mercy, we worship you.
God, for the wonders of your creation, we express these words to you. And for setting us free, Lord, we say this. And as we become aware once again that you are the one who guards our hearts and spirits and protects us, Lord, we express these words of gratitude. And for never leaving us, Lord, we say this to you. And for all that you have provided, Lord. We give you thanks. Give thanks to God. His faithful love endures forever.